We believe in functional mental wellness, a holistic approach to mental health. We know that there's hope for those of us who have experienced trauma, even profound trauma, and that's why we created the Universe is Your Therapist podcast. We believe whether you call it God, the universe, source, unity, or love, that there is something much greater than us that conspires for our good. We envision a world of healing and connection, and we teach you simple but powerful practices that integrate your mind, body, and spirit so that you can come home to your highest self and your truest identity. You are not broken, you are loved, and you can heal. My name is Amy Hoyt, and together with my sister, Lena, we will take you on a journey of healing and self-discovery. Hi, welcome back to another episode. Today's episode, we're talking about preventative mental health, and we want to compare this to our physical health and how oftentimes when we have a genetic disposition or even just higher risk factors, I think most of the world has higher risk factors right now as we're going through a global pandemic, how we can build resilience and how we can become mentally fit ahead of more stressors. So what we want to do with this episode is we want to shift the conversation from mental health to mental fitness. All right. So let's talk about preventative health in mental fitness. And Lena, what do you have? Yes. I think we're talking a couple of months ago about how we invest so much as a society into making sure that we are physically fit and that we don't have a conversation in our society about mental fitness. Instead, it's called mental health. And the idea is always that you're going to get help after something is proving to be very difficult or problematic in your life. And so changing the shift of the conversation into preventative mental health and talking about mental fitness is a great way for us to start looking at this through a different lens and be more proactive about how we treat our ability to find happiness, joy, love, and peace in our lives. Great. I also think that it is inevitable that we have stressors. And so whether or not we currently feel the effects of a particular stressor or a global stressor, we want to build our resilience because we will feel stressed at some point. It's inevitable. And so when we build our mental reservoir and we take care of our mental fitness ahead of time, we're already in a routine so that when the stressors come, our window of tolerance has been built. We have a little bit more in our tank and we're able to grapple with whatever is coming at us in a less reactive way. And that is the goal for me, at least. I always want to try and minimize the overreactions and deal as accurately as possible with what's going on. And of course, there's always emotions that come in and that's sometimes hard for me. So that's what I'm working on as well. I think that's hard for all of us to some degree and in certain areas. That's definitely a fact, I believe. When we talk about building resilience, it is similar to when we are working on our heart health, for example. And what we know is that when we engage in certain physical practices, including the way we eat, the way we move, how often we move, when we engage in those kinds of practices, we are engaging in preventative physical medical health. The example that comes to mind is the stroke that I had a couple of years ago. And in order to prevent another stroke, there are certain habits 
habits and behaviors that I can engage in that are preventative. Those habits and behaviors become more important as I am unable to take the medication prescribed because it harms my muscles. And so then the ability to home in on practices and behaviors and establish those as routines and habits becomes more and more important. So normally in an episode, we talk about a subject and then we give a skill set. This episode, the almost the entire episode is a quote unquote skill set because these are all things that will actually really build our mental fitness and our mental reservoir. So let's start with prioritizing our mental routines or best practices. And each of these practices is geared towards helping you calm your central nervous system. Each of these practices is geared towards helping you calm your autonomic nervous system responses. Now, of course, some of those autonomic responses are breathing and <laughs> movement. We're not looking at those, of course. We're looking at the ones that interfere with living our best and biggest life, essentially. Okay, so the first one we want to start out with is actually something that Dr. Daniel Amen has been talking about for the last few weeks, at least on his social media account, and that is the relationship to food and mental health. You know, a lot of people I think have probably heard by now that gut health is very, very important. The gut is now considered the second brain. And in fact, the majority of our serotonin, which would be our quote unquote, happy chemical in our brain is actually produced in the gut. We have a lot of communication that goes on between the brain and the gut and maintaining a healthy gut is essential for optimal mental wellness. This is tricky because particularly the standard American diet is very opposite of what actually produces optimal gut health. There's a lot of research on this. Unfortunately, when you are eating the standard American diet and a lot of processed foods, which I indulge in at times, I am not above that, we are producing mental and physical disorder. And so the goal is to educate so that you can make better decisions, but know that you know, this episode won't be going over eating and the gut health in detail, but know that attending to what you eat and your gut health and your gut biome is going to only help you with your mental health and your mental game. I like to think of it as foundational. And even though I struggle frequently with that, with making sure that my microbiome is healthy. And so I continue to do other habits as well, because we want to remember that doing something is better than doing none thing. The microbiome and its health and its balance is very foundational, I think. And when we get that in order, as we continue to do these other things, we have more and more success in calming down our nervous system and in widening our window of tolerance. Quickly, I'm aware that there are certain things that are talked about in the literature that are particularly hard on our gut health, which of course relate to our mental health. Alcohol, caffeine, sugar, those are, I would say, the largest culprits in terms of difficulty of maintaining a healthy biome. There are others and everyone has a different tolerance to other ingredients, but I would say in general, those are the ones I've seen the most in the literature. And it does not escape me that those 
of us who are recovering and working through trauma, addiction is our number one go-to coping mechanism until we have solved our trauma. That is in the literature that alcohol and drug use is what we tend to turn to when we have unresolved trauma. So it is challenging to give up substances when we've had trauma which a lot of us have. And yet, not only does it help us deal with our actual emotions and feelings, it also is going to give our gut health a better chance of repairing, which will also help our mental health. So it's kind of a twofer. Yes, that's a great way of looking at it. And when you're listing those three things, I thought, oh, phew, I don't drink alcohol and I don't use caffeine. And then you got to sugar and I thought, oh, dear. (laughs) And you and I talked the other day about how I have a sensitivity to milk. And uh, my favorite thing to eat is ice cream. And ice cream inflames me because my sensitivity to dairy. And it also contains a lot of sugar. And that's why I wanted to point out how important it is that we also do these other things because the other practices that we're engaging in, such as meditation or physical exercise or challenging negative thoughts, all of those things can help us get back into regulation so we can make better decisions about our eating. Okay. So besides gut health, moving our bodies. Now, the way I was raised, we did a lot of chores. We had some animals. We did chores outside. We did chores inside. And I remember our parents often walked. I mean, for years, every morning they would go on walks together. So that was very helpful in terms of modeling. So we had some movement of our body and we had some great models of people moving their bodies. What I want to pay attention to in this conversation is oftentimes in Western culture, exercise is used to change the body into a certain aesthetic. So it's appealing to the physical senses, to the aesthetics, right? To how your body looks. This is a different conversation. This is exercise to help your brain, which will actually possibly change the aesthetics of your body. But the goal is not to have a quote unquote perfect body or a body that is appealing by whatever cultural standards you're living. The goal is to get blood flow to the prefrontal cortex because the prefrontal cortex is where your executive functions lie. And if we can increase blood flow to your prefrontal cortex, where you are making decisions from logic instead of fear, you are automatically going to give yourself a chance of increasing that window of tolerance that we've talked about. And so this is not about what you look like. This is about how you feel. And part of mental fitness is shifting the conversation from how we look to how we feel. Because there are plenty of times I've looked amazing in my life and I did not feel good mentally at all. And there are times where I don't look as good aesthetically, physically, and my mental game is much better. And so we have to start attending to those inner feelings instead of our exterior. Well said. The other thing that occurred to me is that as we become more and more proficient and efficient in our preventative mental health, how we look becomes less important. 
And so many times what will happen is the way we present to the world becomes a part of our litany of negative thinking and our the voice of our inner critic. And it is common in our Western culture for us to say, if only, if only I lost 20 pounds, if only I had more beneficial assets in certain parts of my body, I would feel better. And that's a lie. And while on the surface, people may feel more confident. It is the external locus of control issue that we talked about before, where the good feeling comes from something that's outside of you, that's on your outer self. And that will never, ever be the path to true peace. Absolutely. And so what we're looking for is health for health's Say not for appearances or for aesthetics. And that is a different conversation that I see happening. My bachelor's and my first master's were both in women's studies. And so I was trained pretty early on to think about the cultural conversations around body image and whose gaze and whose perspective is being represented in a lot of popular culture and media. And that's been really helpful for me to frame my own assessment of what's important. It's taken a lot of time to deconstruct those social messages for myself, and I'm still working on them. But we're talking about health for health's sake and for specifically mental health in this instance. But of course, all of these practices will also also help your physical health, which is the beauty of that integration we're working towards. We call it a positive feedback loop in this situation so that as you feel more calm and more settled mentally and emotionally, you are able to make more productive choices for yourself in other areas of your life, which then feeds this sense of calm and a sense of competence. And it goes on and on and on. And that's the kind of feedback loop we want to engage in. And I love how you're talking about not an eating plan, not a diet, and not some kind of prescribed exercise plan. Changing the way we talk about this, in your words, we're talking about the microbiome and how to help our gut become more healthy and efficient. And we're also talking about moving your body. And in Western culture, exercise has become oftentimes just one more thing to check off a list. And I believe that's connected to our mind-body split, where we don't learn how to move our body for the sake of enjoying our body and our embodied self. And being able to talk about our movement of our body and increasing our blood flow to our prefrontal cortex from a place of movement and joy and integration is a very different conversation than exercising so you can eat more brownies or you can fit into your size four pants. And for myself, it'd be my size 14 pants. And the way that we converse about these things is part of mental fitness, the way we label things and the way we perceive things. Absolutely. Thank you. One of the other skill sets, part of the skill set of mental fitness and preventative mental fitness would be having outside time. So outside time is so important for sunlight, for air, for connecting with the earth. I honestly didn't understand the benefits of this when I was younger. We did it organically because we were of the generation of come home at dark because we did live in the country and we were able to be outside riding horses or building tree forts or swimming pretty much all day during the summer. Those are my most cherished childhood memories of playing outside. And so outside time is about 
giving our body a connection to nature. And I realize some people have asthma and they have allergies and so forth, but we're speaking in general, sunlight, fresh air, taking your shoes off and walking on the ground and connecting to the earth and the energy of the earth, quite frankly. The earth is a growing, living thing. And so when we connect with that, gardening, anything that's going to connect you with the outside world can only be for your benefit. Having recently moved to Missouri, I'm thinking of a cousin of ours who also recently moved to Missouri and recognizing that when we went to the home to see if we could borrow something, he was actually sitting in the dark and at his picture window watching the fireflies. And while he wasn't outside, what he was doing was engaging in nature. The profound impact of engaging in nature has been documented in many studies. There are a lot of studies that talk about the benefits of walking in nature. Trees in particular can be very beneficial for us. And that when we are able to be amongst nature the best way we can in our current environment, that it actually has been shown to calm down your nervous system and to to lower your blood pressure. I love watching the fireflies here. That's been one of the most fun parts for me is watching fireflies in the summer. Okay, this leads to something very related. And I will start by saying one of the best activities we did this summer is we caught fireflies with the twins just temporarily. We also let them go, but they wanted to catch fireflies in a jar and I actually did it with them. It was so much fun. And so one of the last things we want to talk about is joy, laughter, play. Where are you getting your joy and your laughter and your sense of play right now? That is so undervalued in our society. Even in my own brain, I have to force myself to be playful. I love my work. I love my research. I absolutely love what I do for a living. And it's very difficult for me to go play and shut that part of myself off. But it is so necessary. That joy, that laughter is so healing. And so we want to encourage you to dive into what you love. Is it fishing? Is it hiking? Is it crocheting? Is it needlepoint? It doesn't matter what it is as long as it's an activity where you you almost lose time when you're doing it. And that's how I can tell when I'm in my mode of joy and fun. It's like time just flies by. One of my hobbies is travel. I love building trips, looking at itineraries. I, of course, I like going on the trip as well. But the best part for me, honestly, is the planning. I absolutely love it. That is one of my happy places. And so what is your happy place? Where do you find laughter and joy and connection? And I'd like to comment on this, Amy, because when we are pushing, pushing, pushing for success or for validation or for a sense of being worthy, it is really hard to tune into play and to joy and to engaging in activities that are not focused on the moving forward and the getting ahead and the proving ourselves as worthy. When I was asked to fill out a getting to know you card yesterday, I realized that under the hobbies, I listed two. And 
I want to be able to be more mindful of finding joy in my life. And the idea behind that would be that it doesn't matter what is interesting to me. The purpose is to, as you were saying earlier, become so engaged in it that we lose time. And that's one of the ways that I can be working on my resilience and my preventative health is by expanding my opportunities for healthy distraction and for fun. And I love that you said healthy distraction because, you know, as you know, I'm in recovery and I can definitely distract myself, myself, my many selves. (laughs) I meant all my parts. (laughs) I can distract myself singular in many different ways. And some of those are not productive and not healthy. And I might not be able to stay in my marriage or stay as a mother with custody of my children if I allow myself down that route. And I, I'm joking because that is one way I deal with some of the challenges I have. I, ha- I am an addict. I am sober. If I don't take that seriously, there are really big consequences. And so I love that you're saying a healthy distraction. Because there's plenty of things that aren't healthy that can really lead to big consequences. And we're not talking about that, obviously. We're talking about things that are going to bring you to your highest self. And your evenness of soul, your restful place in your soul and your embodied self. I honestly don't believe that we can do that completely without learning how to find joy. When I was doing the emotional brain training out of University of San Francisco, Dr. Laurel Mellon, one of the ideas in her protocols was that we find 10 joy points a day and that we start to train our brain to notice. And I remember one day during this training I was doing, I was taking my niece and nephew to school about a half hour away from where we lived. And as we were going over a railroad bridge, I looked up and there were a flock of birds, thousands and thousands and thousands of birds. And prior to that training, I would have noticed it, I think. I Actually, maybe I wouldn't have, but I wouldn't have let myself feel the wonder and awe of what I was seeing. And it was beautiful. And it reset my nervous system in that moment. I'm also aware that gratitude is part of what you're talking about. Those joy points, I like to do them in the morning when I wake up. I actually write down things I'm grateful for. For me, it sets the tone of the day that I am going to work on my brain noticing what I have instead of what I don't have and looking at abundance instead of lack. Does it always work out 100%? And is my whole life butterflies and rainbows? No. Despite some of the challenges that I have in my personal life and, you know, our family, I am uncannily optimistic. And I do attribute that to having a lot of gratitude. I think that's beautiful. And actually, there are a ton of butterflies out here. I I love it. There are also a ton of crickets and cicadas, yes. but they create their own rhythm in nature for which we can be grateful. And I actually love sitting outside at night and listening to them sing, but I know that not everyone enjoys that. Okay, so we've got some joy points. We've got some gratitude. The final thing I want to talk about is relationships. Our relationships are the foundation of all of this. And so what we can do to have less contention and less divisiveness in our relationships, whatever we can do to do that. For me, it usually looks like 
swallowing my pride a little bit, admitting when I'm wrong, checking my ego in those relationships that I have made serious commitments to my marriage, my children, my family of origin, my close friends. These are people that I treasure and I value, and I don't want to have contention with them. And so, yes, there will be hard conversations and there will be honest conversations because I care about the relationship and I want it to grow. And when I am attending to the person and coming from a place of love instead of fear, I am developing myself into a more loving person and a more connected person. And I'm developing the relationship into a better version than it was. And so relationships are really the core of our mental fitness program, preventative mental fitness, because when we are constantly in tension with another person, our nervous system cannot relax. Now, one thing I do when I have really hard conversations with people I really love, I'm not going to walk away from that relationship. I am going to have the hard conversation, but I always, always integrate advice from my higher power. And so for me, that looks like prayer and meditation, and it looks like journaling. And so if you are having a challenge with one of your close relationships, bring in source, love, higher power, God, the universe, bring that into that relationship and let that expansiveness kind of wash over the connections that you have with other people. I promise you it will help. While you were speaking, Amy, I was thinking about how everything we're talking about in this podcast in regards to healing trauma, becoming our higher best self, all of that is directed towards having more authentic, connected relationship. And when we are building our ability to have a larger window of tolerance, to be less reactive, to be grounded, we are always going to see the benefit to our relationships. And as we learn how to be more mindful of our brain's natural propensity towards believing everything is a threat and challenging that, we don't have to argue so much with people. Different political views don't become threatening. They become a way of acknowledging the autonomy and the free will that we've been talking about over the course of the podcast. And so if you are struggling in your relationships, please know that preventative mental health will be a boon to you. And it will not happen overnight. But the more you can engage in these practices that we've been talking about in season one, and we'll continue to talk about in season two, the more your internal systems will relax and calm down and be able to engage with people from a less angry, less fearful, less reactive place. Thank you. Just to recap, we want to shift the public discourse from talking about mental health strictly to engaging in a, a much wider and deeper conversation about mental fitness, which is a preventative measure to help us with our mental game. And in this way, Lena likes to call it being a mental ninja, which I love. And we want to be mental ninjas. And a ninja is someone who trains and trains and trains in the unlikely event that they will need to use <laughs> their skill set. We will need our skill set. We will need our mental skill set. But we are training each day so that we can become stronger and stronger. We're incorporating the gut. We're incorporating connection to other people, connection to the earth. We're incorporating laughter and fun. We're incorporating moving our body. And 
of course, both of us have benefited from professional help. My husband and I have gone to couples therapy. I've gone to individual therapy. We've gone to family therapy. Those are definitely modalities that have really blessed our lives when we couldn't, when we were at an impasse in our relationships. We've also really benefited from our connection with a higher power and working constantly on our connection with other people by reducing divisiveness, reducing contention. And so those are our big takeaways today. Thank you for joining us. We love having you here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to go deeper on this subject or any other subjects we've covered in the podcast, we are so excited to be launching our signature membership program at MendingTrauma.com. This is a trauma-informed mental health membership where we combine clinically effective practices, courses, and mentoring while putting you in the driver's seat. We teach you how to heal your trauma with the latest research combining mind, body, and spirit. We want to walk you through a healing journey while also empowering you. If you have felt this episode is helpful, we would absolutely love if you would go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your pods and give us a review. We'd also love it if you would share it with someone you think it might help. Tag us on social media at mendingtrauma.com or at Amy Hoyt PhD. We would love to reshare. And also, if there's anything we can do to help. We would love to hear from you. Email info at mendingtrauma.com. Give us your suggestions or topics you want to hear about. We would absolutely love to be of more service to you. We're so excited because we have so many good episodes coming up in season two, and we can't wait to go on this journey with you.